Welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. And I'm Liam. And for those that don't know, or perhaps if we've got any new listeners, each week we take a topic that we know next to nothing about, and we give ourselves just a week to read and research all about it. The idea being that we do the hard work and then we share what we feel are the most important pieces of information with you, our listeners. That is exactly what we do. And hopefully, by sharing just a little bit of knowledge with all of you, we can all learn a little bit about a whole lot of things. But just in case people are listening, we are not experts in anything that we talk about. This is just a summary of our findings. Yep, and that is certainly true this week. So let's get on with it. This week, we have learned all about Florence Nightingale. All right, Ollie, another week, another topic. This week, we're all learning about Florence Nightingale. Um, we did a few episodes about some, some, famous, some famous people before, haven't we? We've done the Galileo last series. We've done the Dalai Lama before. <laughs> the Dalai Lama. Um, Who or what is the Dalai Lama? Yeah, although I did have to start this week's one with a very similar search. <laughs> I've got to be honest. We always start with <laughs> what? What did we know about uh, the thing, or in this case, the person before we started? I didn't know nothing about Florence Nightingale. I knew I knew a name, and I, okay. I can picture her running around like with a lamp. Okay. Like my picture is like of a nurse with a lamp, but I couldn't tell you why she was more famous as a nurse than anybody else. I couldn't tell you when she was around. Like I didn't know anything else. Yeah, I think probably quite similar. It's a name name that I know and a name that, you, that gets attributed for somebody who's very important and just presume that they've done something quite significant at some point. Knew they were a nurse, but I couldn't really have told you how or why or when uh, it was a nurse. And as you say, once I got into it, the, the whole lamp element came out as well. And I was like, ah, yeah, I remember that part. But yeah, a topic that didn't know much about, but was quite interested in learning a bit more about and ticking off who this important person is. It's the point of the pod though, isn't it? Just learn a little bit about a whole load of things. So, I mean, there's a, a bajillion famous people we could do. So if you're listening and you can think of someone else you'd like us to learn about, just fire it to us at Two Guys, One Topic. But we're on to Florence Nightingale. So should we start at the very start? Should we say who she was or, and what she did? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's a good idea. And we've, we've sort of alluded to it there and Again, that the name might mean something to some of you in as much that so Florence Nightingale, she was a British nurse and she's credited with having a pretty big impact on the profession of nursing, isn't she? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like to say the least, I think. I think before she was around, nursing was like you weren't even trained as a nurse. It was no. like a menial job. You might not have even been paid, but then she's come around and basically flipped all that around on his head. Definitely. And, uh, a bit like, do you remember we learned about Galileo and he essentially invented the scientific method? Yes. Didn't he? He invented like, he had an idea about something and he went out and experimented it to see if it was right. He didn't just believe what was true, which we, when we did the episode, were amazed to find out. Like yes. he basically invented being a scientist. And, uh, Florence Nightingale, very similarly, basically invented being the nurse, right? 
Exactly. I think there's some some really similar parallels um, that we got onto when we were doing our research. It's like, oh, really? Oh, wow, that's interesting. So yeah, cliffhanger there for people to hang on to and, and listen to what it actually was. She had quite an interesting life. And if we start way back at the, the very beginning with her then. So she was born on the 12th of May in 1820. So a couple of hundred years ago now. And she was born in Florence. No way. Hold on. <laughs> That's what her name is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so she was born in Florence, Italy, and she was born into quite a wealthy British family. And that family liked traveling and um, they decided to name Florence after where she was born. Yeah, she was, um, like you're saying, very affluent, Mum and dad both sort of you know, hung around sort of high class social circles. She was very well educated for a, a young girl at the time. Her dad taught her lots of maths and sort of sciencey things and languages. She spoke, lo- she spoke a lot of languages. I haven't actually written them down. I think she spoke German and French and Latin and Italian, which at the time is, again, sort of unheard of for a young girl to learn those sorts of things. But then... It, like she was expected to sort of carry this on, wasn't she? Her family being running around with these sorts of people, going to all these sorts of social gatherings and things. It was thought that's sort of what she would do at the time. And she didn't want to. Yeah. So her her mum had married well, hadn't she? Her mum had had a life where she had then married her dad and he was a, a landowner. So, you know, he he commanded a lot of land and was like, you know, high up and the mum had come in. She had then been a traditional wife and given the man a couple of children and held tea parties and been a bit of a socialite, but she didn't really want to do that. Did she? And she felt even at the age of 16, she said that she received a calling from God to go and help and minister the sick. And her mum and dad weren't too pleased with this, as you said. So at this time, um, in around the 1820s and you know, before and shortly after this, nursing wasn't a profession and it certainly wasn't respected. And, and the people who were nurses at the time were, were hardly ever paid or thought of as lowly people. So for her quite high up mum and dad to then think about their daughter going into this profession, they weren't happy at all. No, they forbade her from pursuing nursing. Yeah. I imagine that you will not be a nurse. That is not happening. But it didn't help, did it? She was, it was expected, like you said, it was expected she would marry. She, she turned down marriage proposals from a suitable, I'm doing the old fingers, the, from suitable um, gentlemen. Uh, turned it down because she, she knew that uh, being a nurse or nursing is where she wanted to go. And she ended up, she moved out to Germany in the 1840s. So she was in her 20s at this point to go and study nursing. Yes. Uh, And yeah, that's basically this where she learned. She was a student at the Lutheran Hospital of Pastor Fliedner in Kaiserwerth, Germany. (laughs) Sounded very natural. Sounds like you know. know That that was not written in front of me. And apparently there, that's where she then mastered, mastered the basics of patient care and basic hospital administration. And yeah, she, she got a real, um, you know, real keenness for it. And she then came back and we're in about the 
1850s, early 1850, 1853. She was still adamant that she then wanted to be a nurse and had this calling from God to be a nurse. And she then moved to London and her dad actually gave in, didn't he? He gave in to her wishes and he then gave her an allowance that allowed her to then live and pursue this, this intent that she had. Yeah, he gave her a £500 allowance, which sounds like nothing, but in the time was about £50,000. That's a lot of money. That's a, yeah. that's a big allowance. Yeah. He must be a wealthy man, you know, to be able to do that. Um, and it meant, yeah, but like you said, it meant she could basically do the things she wanted to do because even, even though she was trained or at least knew about nursing, she wasn't going to likely to get paid. She joined a school in middle, um, a school, joined a hospital in Middlesex. And there was a cholera outbreak and due to unsanitary conditions, which she managed to sort of get under control. So her star was rising, if you like, within yeah. like the, the sort of that sort of world of, of nursing and, and care. And it was in 1854 that she sort of the, the, the thing that happened sort of that changed her life that was the Crimean War, yeah. wasn't it? That kicked yeah. off. I was I was reading some things about her as a person as well. And you start to build this picture of her about going against her family. And she was very well educated as well, that she was a very strong-willed person. She was very stubborn. She was very keen on like feminist views and not just going along with tradition. Apparently, she was a little bit socially awkward as well, in terms of you yeah. know, quite direct. And to the point with what she was saying about, but yeah, she, she had a, a fair number of people who offered to, to marry her nonetheless, but yeah, she turned them down with this pursuit and saying that she would feel like it would be suicide if she decided to marry somebody and have a, a family and like a traditional way of, of living. It would feel like it would be a, you know, effectively her, her life coming to an end. So she carried on working, did really well. And yeah, Crimea really changed the world's view on her. So this was another episode. I could have got into a whole new episode. Next thing we would do is, what is the Crimean War? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> they just don't mention it as if I'm supposed to know everything. I don't even know. I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that definitely could have been another rabbit hole going down into that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So to sum up, <laughs> very briefly, there was a war between the British Empire and the Russian Empire for control of the Ottoman Empire. And they were fighting in what we, I mean, it's in the news now. They were fighting in Crimea, the area, you know, the other, the other borders, Russia and Ukraine. And the minute they're basically still fighting over it, aren't they? Yes. So this war broke out and the secretary of state or something along those lines, he was named something like that, wasn't he? He, he basically called on Florence Nightingale. She, she built up this reputation um, he said, right, I need you to go out to the hospitals out there. I need you to go and care for the sick. We need to get more nurses out there. We're in trouble. There's lots of people dying. Go to Crimea, put a team together, sort it out. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So this this Crimea war, as Liam was saying, it was 1853 to 1856. And she, she got the calling to go over in 1854. And what she did is she then led a group of 38 volunteer nurses over there to try and improve the overcrowded hospitals that they had at the, the barrack hospitals over there. Um, but there was something about, was it that there, there weren't other female nurses there at the time before she went there? 
Yeah, lots of the other female nurses, they, de- they developed a bad reputation, I think perhaps because of the, the poorness of their work. So they, they'd asked for, for other females to go out. So I think that would have helped in, in her getting this job. She did a good job though, didn't she? So she turned up into this, well, I think we'll talk about some of this a little bit later on, but basically imagine what a hospital looks like now. Yeah. And it's the exact opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. Like in a minute when we list some of the things, like it's the exact opposite. It's horrific. The death rate, wasn't the death rate about 40 something percent? Yeah. So people coming Patients into the hospital was then, you know, you, you would then add a 40% chance of dying. And then with these improvements that we'll talk about, it dropped down to about 2.2%, which seems quite accurate, which could be important in terms of yeah. holding uh, recording of those numbers, maybe. And just something else that, that we'll come on to about Florence Nightingale a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, she, I mean, she didn't obviously save the day, but she's certainly gone and turned things around, didn't she? You know, there's still oh, people dying. Um, but I mean, a war's going on. So, so if you can turn them, someone around, if you can, rather than them dying and you then nurse them back to health, they can then go back out and carry on fighting again type approach yeah. or do something, you know, a positive contribution to the war effort rather than just dying and then causing yeah. other um, other sickness or diseases or or what or morale or whatever it might be. It's there's a load of downsides to people dying in war. <laughs> and so if you can get yeah. if you can get that those numbers back up again and get them back out, then uh, then it's it's obviously a, a good thing. Yeah. Um so she like you said she reduced the death rate. She came back after the war in a, in in 1856 and was I don't know sort of a celebrity, wasn't she? Like she was she was like Queen Victoria at the time presented her with an engraved brooch known as the Nightingale Jewel to say thank you. Yep. She was granted a prize of £250,000 by the British government. You know, at this point, she's, you know, people want to speak to her. They want to know about how she's done, what she's done, how did she reduce all this death, what are her ideas and thoughts, and all these different people in different countries and stuff were talking to her. But she didn't really like it, did she? No, she she didn't like all this newfound stardom. It wasn't in her way of working. As I was saying earlier, a little bit maybe socially awkward. There was another example I was reading about when she was actually at the Crimea War that Queen Victoria, she sent all of the troops a gift and the, like different gifts at different times to try and help the troops morale. And they sent out some cologne, some like, you know, some um, nice smelling fragrances for the troops to have. And apparently Florence Nightingale retorted and sent a letter to the queen saying a little gin would have been more popular. Um, so yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't scared yeah. to, to speak her mind and to, to say what her views were. Um, but yeah, you're right. She, she came back um, she was being asked by all of these high up people about what was it that she'd done over there and, and how could she then improve things in the UK? And that's what she set about doing. But yeah, she didn't like all of the, the, the limelight that she got. Yeah, she used the money to set up the Nightingale Training School for Nurses in 1860, which is is still going today. It's the oldest nursing training centre in the world. It's now part of King's College in London. Um, it's been going for like 162 years. Yeah. Which is immense. Yeah, one of the other things that happened to her in her life when she then was coming back from the, the Crimean War was that she became really ill. And she was largely bedridden, like from her 40s onwards in, in large bouts yeah. due to yep. something called Crimean fever. 
which I also yep. read. I've got. Have you got the medical name for it there? No, no idea. So it was. What was it? Brucellosis. I don't know. Someone can probably let us know better how to pronounce that. But it was basically this this Crimean fever, something this illness that went round the people who were over there, and it was something to do with coming into contact with contaminated animal products. So again, around sanitation, but it was it was a long term illness that um, back in those days was hard to shake, and it was quite debilitating yeah. and made you sick. And so, yeah, she then suffered with this for the rest of her life. Yeah, yeah, she bet. Yeah, she came basically bedridden. She she did a lot of writing. She still spoke to people about like how to improve nursing and things like that. But for the most part, yeah, bedridden until 1910 when she was 90, and she died on August the 12th, 1910. Which is pretty um, good, isn't it? Like 19 in 1910 to be 90 years old. That is yeah. must be beyond the life expectancy of the time. Yeah. But we got to get on to the main event, right? Yep. This is my takeaway because I could not think of anything more important, right? What is it? I, I separate bullet points, right? What is it she actually did that made her more of a like a famous nurse? What is it? Why was she the person who could write these books, talk to these heads of state, speak to the queen? What what is it Florence Nightingale did that that got her so famous, right? Well, it seemed so, that she probably had a little bit of, by today's standards, a bit of common sense, I suppose, if you're looking at it. It's, it's, <laughs> I wrote some bullet points, just reading a few things, like, what did she do? I got about 12 bullet points or something. All of them, all of them seemed like things like, why did nobody think of this until 1854? Yeah. We don't make like, number one, hand washing. <laughs> yeah, that's quite important. What? <laughs> It's basically basically what she did in a nutshell is massively improved sanitation, didn't she? Hugely. That's just, that's in a in a huge overarching sort of nutshell. Yep. Yep. She, just, she just went in and went, this is disgusting. People aren't going to survive in this. We need to make this cleaner. Yes. So yeah, so, shall I read you a few? Yeah, go on. Down? Yeah, go on, hit us with right. Hand washing, bathing of patients, like... People didn't even bathe the pe- clean, giving them clean clothes, providing them food and water. What? They were like, why weren't people doing that? Disinfecting the toilets, improving general ventilation and opening windows. They used to have the horses living in the basement of the hospital. Yeah. So all the horse gump that's in the bottom, like she was like, no, they need to move. Like, who's not thought of that? Yeah. Um, reducing overcrowding. You know how nowadays you know, they've got a bed and then there's a curtain between you and the next person. Like, you're not just right on top of each other. That sort of thing. Like, mental stimulation by providing games and books and, like, a library for people to, to, to do stuff with, you know, so yes. they can take their mind off, whatever. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, big How time. is this not a thing before her? But So, again, so she she was in a very male-dominated world at this point like in the 1850s that we're talking about. And apparently she butted a lot of heads with like senior commanding officers or, you know, well thought of male doctors at the time. You've got this, this woman coming along who's a nurse who's trying to tell them that they need to be doing better things. And they they weren't really going along with it to begin with. Yeah. But given that she was straight talking 
a little bit socially awkward, wasn't scared to say what she thought, was, you know, sticking up for her own beliefs. She managed to push these things through. As we said earlier, in Crimea, the death rate falling from 40% in a hospital to 2.2%. That's hugely significant, isn't it? So people couldn't argue with it. Yeah, I... I read a nice quote. It's not a quote. I don't know where, where I read this. It said, Florence Nightingale had very few of the warm and fuzzy edges that surround her image today. So yeah. we all see her as this like yep. lovely, helpful nurse. But actually she was tough and tireless and fiercely intelligent. You know, she like, exactly like what you were saying. She isn't quite what we, this warm, fuzzy sort of yeah. lovely person. Like she was straight at it. And I think part of that warm, fuzzy image comes from where we said at the beginning about this woman holding a lamp and her getting her nickname of the lady with a lamp. So apparently what she would do, and if if you imagine there isn't electricity at the time, or there certainly isn't like, you know, people haven't got well-lit hospitals and what have you. So, (laughs) So she's going around from bed to bed in these cramped barrack hospitals with a lamp and she's spending that time going and checking on all of the... The patients, you know, at nighttime going around and doing those routine checks. That was another thing that she she made um, an improvement of doing more routine checks on the patients rather than just leaving them, making sure they're okay. And so that might be where she got a bit of a fuzzy image from as well, as a fuzzy, fuzzy, nice image from. And then the other thing apparently that she did is she would then, for the sick and the injured who are unable to write, and write home to their loved ones, she would then write the letters for them. So I don't know how often or how many times she did that, but it's one of those things where when you get those nice, compassionate, warm stories, they stick, don't they? As you say, I think she had a bit more of a tougher, tougher personality than what she's given credit for. Yeah. So she basically just, she basically like invented all the things that we think nurses do nowadays (laughs) she was like the one who did it all so then she's in a position to talk about it because you know she's come to come out and she she was a a statistician yeah wasn't she she we mentioned earlier how good she was at maths and I, i think a lot of her a lot of what she could do was was look at statistics and when she got to crimea she was taking notes and things there were 18,000 deaths but 16,000 of them were preventable and not due to the war. Wow. Isn't that mental? Isn't that unbelievable? That's um, big numbers. That's big numbers. And she then put all of this work in this stats and analysis that she then did. She then put this to work when she then came back from Crimea, didn't she? And then she is then, as well as then doing some of those practical things and some guidance around sanitation and improving things. She then went on and she was quite a prolific writer. She loved writing. I've got here that she wrote over 150 books and pamphlets around nursing okay. and advice and guidance around how, how nursing should be done. And there's, there's apparently there's a couple of really famous books that she wrote, isn't, hasn't she? Yeah. One of them was in 1857. It's called Notes on Matters Affecting the Health efficiency and hospital administration of the British army. She yep. wrote about an 830 page report, analyzing her experience and proposing reforms. And just going back to the, you know, so she proposes these things, but in order to get her point across, she was really into showing data. Oh yeah. And as a mathematician myself, 
I think this is, I, I shouldn't not mention this, more specifically, data visualization. So obviously this data, this always existed. People always tracked things like this. But having reams and reams of pages of numbers, the normal person cannot just look at them and deduce what is being said. What she would do is she could put it into a diagram, which just at a glance, you can see exactly what the issue is. She popularized something called the Nightingale-Rose diagram, which is very similar to a pie chart nowadays. If you made a pie chart, most people can look at a pie chart and go, oh, the yellow one's really big. That must be bad. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Did you know about this? I, I've never heard of the, the rose diagram. Did you know about it with being a maths no, teacher? No, I, I didn't. I have not seen this, but I could work it out. But then I'm a mathematician. I could work it out pretty quickly. So what you do is you, you she wrote down all the um, the deaths for each month, right? So she wrote down deaths that were to do with disease, deaths that were to do with wounds, and deaths were the, that were to do with other causes. So she's in Crimea. She's taking all this data. She then puts it into, so you get um, like a circle. You split it into 12 pieces, like 12 slices of a cake. Each one represents a different month. Yeah. Okay. And then what you do is if there's lots and lots of deaths, you make it much longer. So imagine you've got a slice of pizza. You pull the pull the crust of the pizza away from the pizza. So if there's loads and loads of deaths, you pull that crust a really long way away. So it's, a, it's the same, it's got the same angle slice, but it's just a really long one. Yep. And when you look at the diagram, you can really quickly see the really long ones, almost like a bar chart. Right, this is a month with loads and loads of deaths. And then with some color coding, you can really obviously see which ones are to do with war and which ones were to do with like the other things. I was going, going to ask you about that. So it is pretty similar to a bar chart, isn't it? But it's just done in a circular way. Yeah, you could have. she could have done this using a bar chart and gone along the bottom, January, February, March, April, May, yeah. June. Um, yeah, I think I think you could demonstrate it that way as well. I but guess. I suppose what she's done here, like you say, it's just another way to visualize it if someone's mind looks at something slightly differently. And the reason why it's called a rose diagram, we'll put a picture of this on our socials um, at Two Guys One Topic. Is it's as Liam was saying, you've got these different stats that get longer, further away from the center, and it's almost like there's petals, like overlapping petals. Yeah. That yeah. sort of like builds it up to look like a rose with this this circular pie chart. It's really clear that deaths from war were practically nothing in comparison to deaths from everything else and, yeah. and poor sanitation. So in being able to do that, circling back to, you know, she produces these reports and these books, but she's now got the data to back it up and can show it really visually. So she was she was well respected in the maths world as well as a statistician. Massively, so, she was actually the, the first female to be part of the Royal Statistical Society due to okay. the work that she had done. They, yeah, first female to go into there. And I think it's something that a lot of people aren't aware of about this natural skill she had for analysing data and, and taking this data and then doing something meaningful with it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's where she then she then published all of these different books and all of these, this different information about it. She had one book like notes on hospitals and notes on nursing, what it is and what it is not to be a nurse. She then had other ones yeah. where it, it was just continually just looking at how to make improvements. And then people coming to her, as we were saying earlier and saying, um, how, how do you think we should be improving the, the patient care? She's got quite a few famous quotes um, this is one that I quite liked from one of her books, super simple, is that she says, 
the very first requirement in a hospital is that it should not do the sick any harm. It's like super simple, uh, isn't it? So simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of our analyses actually showed that that soldiers were more likely to die at home during peacetime than they were during the war because of the unhygienic conditions in hospitals. No. Like not, not war hospitals, just general city hospitals. Wow. So she she had deduced that actually this soldier has got more chance of dying here in London than than if he goes off to war because the hospital <laughs> here is basically the opposite of what you've just said. <laughs> it causes them more harm than good. <laughs> and it, it wasn't straightforward, again, being in a man's world at the time. She had to rely on some of her like upper-class background to get some of this pushed through. So she had, there was a, a politician at the time called Sidney Herbert, another one called John Sutherland. Actually, one of those had, had tried to take her hand in marriage, you know, tried to propose to her 20 years earlier and she'd said no. But she then had these male allies who could then help push these reforms through because yeah. they were men and it being a, men, a man's world at the time. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it certainly helped that she had all the connections. Like during the the American Civil War, people from both sides would come and speak to her because they wanted to know what she thought about things. Um, she like you were saying, she was bedridden, but she would take guests and they would come and they would speak to her. She did a lot of work with India, didn't she? And and is, was it hospitals in India trying to improve the the sanitation of Indian hospitals and things like that? Yes, yeah, and she loved traveling. That was one of her things. So when she was able to. Um, you know, we said that she she was born in Florence. She then went over to Germany to do some studying. She went over to Crimea. You know, this wasn't easy things to do at the time, but she loved traveling and and loved speaking foreign languages. Um, so, yeah, she I think she quite liked it, didn't she? That she was being asked. She just didn't necessarily want to be in the spotlight. Have you heard of the Nightingale effect? This did come up earlier on in the week when I was looking into it. But, yeah, explain it. It's not that straightforward thing, is it? No, and it's, it's nothing to do with her. It's just they just sort of attributed her name to it. Also, there's no science behind it. This is more like a pop culture sort of thing that has sort of gained some traction. And it's the idea that a caregiver, so a nurse, I guess, um, gets romantic feeling or develops romantic feelings for their patients over time through caring for them. Seems Which odd, it? isn't what she did. No, 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 not at all. No. It's just something that's been attributed to her or her name, at least, over over time. But it's never actually thought that that's what she did at all, is it? No, no, no. It, just, it was something that came up that interested me. So I just read about <laughs> it quickly. Um, but just interestingly, if you it's the other way around, if you are a patient and you start having romantic feelings for your nurse, that's called transference. But I don't really know what that means any more than that. So, <laughs> so I'd say it. She's going to leave that there. Smart. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did learn that one as well. So we're, we, we've been learning about that she's she's had a massive impact. She's basically introduced sanitation and then wrote 150 books and pamphlets and really gone into detail about doing this. And she was then looked at notably with from royalty um, and she then got some quite prestigious awards like from King Edward the Seventh, I think it was. She then became inducted into the the Order of Merit, which is a a, a very high British honour. 
for somebody to achieve. And she got that for her advancements in literature and science is what she got that accolade okay. for, which is yeah quite important. Yeah, she received a congratulatory message from King George on her 90th birthday as well. Okay. Right. Pretty cool, isn't it? But so when she when she died, you know, like we we're saying, she was um uh, really well respected, and you know, still is today. Like, eight, you know, uh, would she be two hundred years old or something? They actually wanted to bury her in Westminster Abbey. Yeah, didn't they? She was eligible and, uh, for like state funeral. Yeah, but because she's um uh you know sort of like we're saying socially awkward against this sort of thing, she basically said, "I, I don't want it. I-, I want a nice, quiet, modest funeral." So did not get it. That's exactly what happened. So when she passed away, a, a family kept to her final wishes and they said, okay, yeah, you don't need to have a state funeral. Um, and she just had a, a smaller memorial held at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which is still pretty mad. There aren't many people get that honour, having a, a memorial service at St. Paul's Cathedral. But yeah, she just didn't have the no. full-blown state no, no, no. funeral. No, and then I was reading like... Since then, you know, like um, like impact. Do you know in America they have to do something called the Nightingale Pledge, nurses, which is sort of a modified version of the Hippocratic Oath. Oh right, okay. Do you know that? No. So you know, doctors take this oath to say they will. I, I don't know what it is. They will save lives of everybody all the time and put the patient first, or, or something along those lines. Uh, nurses do something very similar. It's called the the Nightingale Pledge. Uh, it's been okay. modified a couple of times um over the years, but essentially since um 1893. They've been doing a Nightingale pledge. Ah, that's cool. Didn't Florence Nightingale actually train up the first American nurse as well? Yeah, Linda Richards. She was the first American nurse to be officially trained. Um, so like we're saying, this is, this is at her training school that is now, like I said, is now part of King's College. It's now called the Florence Nightingale Faculty of Nursing, Midwifery and Palliative Care at King's College London, which is the oldest nurse training facility in the world. And yeah, this... Linda was trained there and, um, yeah, the first trained American nurse. Nice. And this isn't something that I was aware of until doing the research that she continues to be honoured today on her birthday. And the 12th of May is then International Nurses Day, which is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. To have um, yeah. have a commemorated every year on her birthday. Yeah, we, we also, you know, when sort of COVID was at its worst, um, the UK opened up they called them nightingale hospitals now i didn't even realize i i I had no no link when i heard that they were called the nightingale hospitals i i mean i could have probably have guessed it was florence nightingale just because the only person i know called something nightingale yeah at no point did i put two and two together um yeah they were called nightingale hospitals based you know off of the back of her which is yeah that's that's pretty pretty cool yeah that's a good point and then even the red cross now they've actually um they've come up with a florence nightingale medal and that's something which they hand out to exceptional nurses. They hand out this medal every two years for, for people that have gone above and beyond and they've done a significant contribution to, to nursing. So, yeah, her legacy is pretty strong, still lives on. There's a Florence Nightingale Museum as well, even in London. So if um, if anybody's listening to this and you're super interested in learning even more, then next time you're in London, go and check out the the, the museum of hers. Mate, what a cool thing to learn about, Florence Nightingale. Definitely. Like, like, so uh, I don't have a takeaway today, right? My takeaway is that she basically invented being a nurse. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I, like, I can't think of something better than that. Like, it's like Galileo. I can always remember that he basically invented being a scientist and being doing, you know, like, like yeah. she invented sanitation in hospitals. Like the, the, the reason hospitals work is down to her changes that she put in place. So Massively. And we, we said at the beginning that she was a British nurse that had, had an impact on the nursing profession. She like basically invented it. She, she had an <laughs> incredible impact on it. What modern nursing yeah. now looks like today and just how it's then grown from there and how it's been refined over the years. Yeah, what what an interesting person. And then also just to learn maybe I quite like that she wasn't quite as fluffy and as caring yeah. that you associate with nurses now. She was you know, such a driven, educated, analytical person who given when she was around and did so well to to drive these changes because she had to be you know she had to do that i was going to change with it anyway hopefully you've all enjoyed listening to our little episode about florence nightingale this week hopefully we've all learned a little bit of something if you've got any thoughts or comments or you want to follow us or like us or send us a message on instagram facebook twitter any of those it's at two guys one topic let us know Otherwise, we'll be back next week with a new episode all about something else completely random. But until then, get out there and share some Nightingale knowledge. <laughs>